Stories That Matter Studios. I'm Nance Haxton, and this is The Streets of Your Town, The Journo Project. This podcast is all about recognising great Australian journos wherever they may be around the world. With the media in Australia under increasing attack and hard-won freedoms under threat, there's no better time to celebrate and highlight the work of the top journalists from down under. This journo has travelled the world to compete as a swimmer at the highest level, ultimately being recognised as the captain of the Sydney 2000 Paralympic swimming team. Her passion for social justice is a big motivation for her storytelling, with her speaking talents helping to raise more than $1 million for various disability charities. Carney Liddell is also the National Disability Insurance Scheme Queensland Ambassador and a member of Dane Quentin Bryce's Domestic and Family Violence Council as well as a radio broadcaster, social commentator and highly acclaimed international speaker. Her TED Talk was watched by thousands of people around the world and she was the only TED speaker on the day to receive a standing ovation. Carney tells me on the Journo Project podcast that her greatest hope is that she can soon stop talking about the disability discrimination she sees every day because it doesn't exist anymore. Carney, thank you for joining Streets of Your town, the Journo Project. Thanks for having me. Carney, we've been trying to catch up for ages. I think you are like one of the busiest people I know. But thank you for squeezing us in. I want to start with your life in Rockhampton. You're a Rocky girl. I am a Rocky girl at heart. I think the older I get, the more I embrace that I'm from Rockhampton. <laughs> so the, the longer it's been since you've been there, <laughs> yeah. you're more Rocky. It's like when you have like a relative or a friend that <laughs> lives away you love them more than the ones you love you see all the time <laughs> like, so I feel a bit like that and I didn't realize how good Rocky was until I left it because I was so embraced there I was so looked after you know I felt like a superstar everyone knew you I suppose yeah, yeah everyone knew me and let me yeah. do whatever I wanted in terms mm. of if I wanted to be a nipper then I was a nipper <laughs> in the parks of lifesaving club you know I competed at things that really and truly I physically shouldn't and couldn't do and didn't feel weak or like a risk or a burden. And oh, why can't more places be like Rocky? Well, it wasn't just Rocky. Well, it was Rocky, but it was also the time. You know, I always started to feel like I was disabled until I think public liability came in in the early 90s and it changed Truly. It changed everything for people like me and it still does. It's You know, I always say it's the most disabling thing about having a disability is this crazy incorrect untrue and unfair stu- like feel or perception that we're the riskiest people in the room. It's amazing that you could you can define it that clearly in your lifetime that you can feel see so clearly that before and after change. Oh, I still remember what happened because I literally I went to Marion St. Stanislaus, which turned into Emmaus College. That was two separate campuses in, in high school. So we had to walk across the road for some classes. So that walk alone was way too far for me. So I'd have to bring my chair to school. And then, of course, it was the 90s, but to be honest, even 2019 schools aren't accessible. So back then, the classes that, you know, a lot of my classes were upstairs. So before public liability came in, I literally just got carried up the steps or David Zemet, the tallest kid at school, would <laughs> help me up the steps and help me across the road. That's how simple it was. Public liability came in and I was not allowed to go upstairs anymore. So I was actually not allowed to do the classes that were upstairs. They didn't move the classes downstairs. 
they said you can't do drama or you can't do this and that was massive for me because obviously you know I wanted to be I mean you know me well enough to know that drama was my thing mm. um so all of a sudden, those really basic, simple things like Dave is at the tallest school, getting me around and getting me up hills and my friends helping me was taken away from me and it was very disabling. And even to this day, I mean, the reason why I fight to fly in this country is purely on this crazy idea that I'm risky because I have a disability or because my batteries in my wheelchair, they think, you know, I've got to blow up a plane, which obviously they don't because they're cleared or whatever it is, you know, whether it's going for a job or getting in a cab or going up steps and down steps, it's crazy that people think that um, to help us is risky because there are so many able-bodied people who are unfit, mm. unhealthy. And more yeah. of a risk than you, <laughs> Way quite frankly. I look at the, pl- uh, the, <laughs> the, 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 the queue at the plane and think, you think I'm the riskiest person? <laughs> that guy's the- about to have a heart attack. Yeah. yeah. So that's um, – it is – to this day, mm. one of the most frustrating parts about being in a chair. Mm. And so was the Paralympics freeing of that for you? Was that, you know, because it sounds like it happened just as you were starting to really excel with your sport as well. Yeah, well, it just happened on the cusp of my first mm. Paralympics at 96. So then going to the Games. And also don't forget, when you're young, I mean, you know, when you're young, not a lot bothers you because it hasn't happened that many times. <laughs> Like I used, to, true. I used to look at my friends that were older who were, I would think, mean to everybody, people or me or, or cranky and go, just chill out, man. Who cares? They don't mean it. Let them go. Just be nice. Give them a fake laugh. Now I'm them <laughs> because I'm bored of it, tired of it, frustrated. And it just, yeah, it's been happening for 30 years now. So I guess you get to the point where you can't handle another fight mm. um, was it similar issues that you faced overseas it's not just an australian thing oh it's a western yes, country right. thing mm. risk and i think it comes from america and i wish that we did sue <laughs> i wish that we were get it over i wish that i did sue all the people <laughs> for you know all these things that happened to me or i wish that i'd fallen over and i'd sued i'm not a, I, I i can't even remember falling over in my life because i guess i'm so careful and I'm not that sort of, I don't know, I just don't fall that often unless something actually happens, like I dislocate my kneecap or something. But I wish that people with disabilities were suing and making money and th- that's why we're considered risky. We're not. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not America. It's not that easy. And in fact, we call America Disneyland for people in wheelchairs because they are scared of being sued because people do sue. Therefore, they think the opposite of us. They go, oh, God, it's not accessible let's figure out a way to get her in because we can't discriminate. It's against the law over there to discriminate and also it's against the law to build buildings that are inaccessible. Here, everyone thinks it's against the law. I wish it was. No, we've got a train network that shows that it was just brought in a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, wasn't yeah. It? it really is. And mm. I'd say 95% of the world is inaccessible. I'm not asking to make it accessible, even though it would be amazing, right, if we actually started to think about... Mm. Not just people like me. We've got mothers of prams, ageing population, and every person on the planet will one day injure themselves. Whether it's a broken toe or a broken leg, you will one day need a ramp rather than 10 flights of stairs, right? So why don't we start building places mm-hmm. that are easier for everyone, especially with the ageing population, right? So, but I, what I always say, it's not about ramps and lifts. It's actually about attitude. 
Like I fly to Fiji all the time for holidays. It's so inaccessible. But I'm treated like a customer there. So they see me and they go, all right, let's just get four big blokes. <laughs> like my wheelchair has been carried <laughs> over the ocean in Fiji. <laughs> I went to a wedding where it was like on Treasure Island. I was on a speedboat. My wheelchair can't get wet. In the, in the middle of the night, I was on a speedboat. And they're like, bulla, 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 relax. <laughs> Got to the middle of the ocean. A dinghy came out of nowhere. <laughs> They lifted my wheelchair, $30,000 wheelchair, into the dinghy and me. They stopped like 15, 20 metres out from the shoreline because of the reef and carried me like a baby and carried my 30 kilo wheelchair above the head. Over the head. You know, and they, and, they, and they lifted me oftentimes on Treasure Island or wherever I was and had been in Fiji without me even wanting to be lifted. <laughs> I'm wheeling along and all of a sudden I'm lifted up and I'm like, hang on. Yeah. So I just think to myself, I don't ask to be lifted, but at the same time, it'd be good if people just went, oh, no, we're not accessible. How do we figure this mm. out? What can we do Yeah, to fix that? Yeah. And so what, how did Bond fit into this? Did you, was this part of your motivation for wanting to tell this, this story to this sort of justice aspect of it, I suppose? I yeah. think I, I honestly, again, I wish it was strategic, me becoming a journalist. I know that... I once I won medals at my first games, um, it seemed like a natural fit to go into that speaking journalistic world. It seemed like the right thing to do because of where I was heading with my life, and I always knew that I could speak. Um, I actually had one of those weird, I guess, a spiritual things where I knew I was going to be a speaker when I was about fourteen or fifteen. My grandfather Archie died suddenly. And my father was to do the eulogy. And my grandfather, Archie, was a well-known man in Rockhampton. My, my father and grandfather and, and all my family really are good athletes. And um, when he died, Dad was to do the eulogy. I was, I was 14, 15, never been to a Paralympic Games. Nobody knew I could speak, wasn't well-known. I was just a 14-year-old kid from, you know, Rockhampton, grade 9, 34-kilo chick. <laughs> and I was sitting next to my father and he broke down. Uh, couldn't get up and I just grabbed his notes and got up and yeah just limped up onto the podium there and yeah did his eulogy and it was weird because in that moment and that moment onwards I was just known as, as a speaker everyone knew me then it was like this weird thing that happened in my life that I was just like I was on the debating team and then I was school captain and sports captain and because everyone just knew about this one time that I did my my grandfather's eulogy so I think it was his way of putting me on that path and then when I went to Bon Uni it was purely again <laughs> my best friend and I were on a plane to somewhere overseas for some swimming competition she was a, she's an extraordinarily smart human being. She's a barrister now and I think she's done three degrees. And she said, I'm going to go to Bond. I hadn't even heard about Bond, obviously. And I applied to different universities trying to get a scholarship because I had no money. Um, and I was moving to Brisbane from Rocky on my own. And she said, look, I'll help you apply for a sports scholarship. So we acted the application, you know, handwritten back then, love, handwritten yeah. uh, on the plane. She posted it for me. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> and I had no idea that I had won the jackpot and how unbelievably lucky I was to go to Bond because Bond back then was 2,500 people. It was small. It was international. 
and it was easy for me because it was accessible and if it wasn't they got me a key to a back entrance somewhere <laughs> you know like it was like okay can't get to that lecture let's move the lecture then it was and I didn't realize how good that was until I tried to go to another university and do my master's and other degrees over the years and then it was a bit different and also just the international flavor of it too because I've been an athlete and been around a lot of different countries it just opened up so many doors for me with my life in my 20s to travel and you know, really, I don't know, I just, it was just the right fit for me at the time. And journalism seemed to be the right fit. It totally was the right fit, obviously, but I don't really believe I ever thought to myself I wanted to be a journalist before I started studying and then really becoming a speaker and realising that actually I am a storyteller. Yeah, and that this is a good fit. Mm. Yeah, and also I just love people. I'm really intrigued by people. I... I love it. I'd probably like hearing other people's stories because I have to tell my story all the time. <laughs> Even not just as a speaker or as a Paralympian, actually as a person in a wheelchair. You don't get through a day without someone being way too nosy and personal wanting to know why I'm in a wheelchair. Uh, and this brings back a lot of uh, <laughs> memories from your speech. Why? I remember, Carney, from uh, the, that amazing Women in Media conference that we attended and I was just blown away by what you had to say. But, yes, I remember you talking about people coming up to you in pubs and stuff and mm. giving you a high five, which is <laughs> kind of not cool. Really. Not cool when you've got a muscle disease and you can't do a high five. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be better if they asked for the low five. I'm really good at the low five. Look, yeah, it's not... This is not a rare thing for people in wheelchairs. This is a very common thing. In fact, you ask anyone in a chair, they'll tell you the same thing. It's weird because we're so invisible when it comes to accessibility, employment, policy, um, being customers, seeing us as powerful. We're so invisible in that world. But we're so visible and so open to public... It feels like where there's no boundaries when you're in a chair. Like it's like people feel like they can ask you anything and just walk off. Like just throw a grenade at you and 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 walk off. And I I don't know how where that comes from. I think you know after trying to dissect it and understand it because I'm always trying to understand everything with people and there's, life. There's a, that sounds like a journey. <laughs> yeah. I think it's because people don't know what to say. Um, and they are nosy and they don't realise that they may be the 10th person that day asking me that question and also they don't realise that this could actually be traumatising. It's not actually for me because I was born with my disability. I'm bored of talking about it. I don't want to talk about it. And most of the time I don't think or understand or remember that I'm in a chair. It's like you don't go to the park and think I'm walking. That is in your head. <laughs> if someone came up and said to you, let's talk about you, you walking, that would feel weird to you. Mm because it's so natural, it feels the same to me. I don't think I'm in a wheelchair because I just am. Just like you just walked in here. You didn't think about those steps that you walked in on. And talking about that, you'd find that really boring and weird. And I feel exactly the same way. And I suppose as a journalist too, you must see some reporting, I imagine, in the disability sphere that you just go, oh, it must be frustrating or has it improved? <laughs> I would hope. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think, the, I think Dylan Alcott's of the world are getting way better portrayal in the media. The way that he's being reported on, the, what, what he's doing, even with Kurt Fernley to a point, but they're both Paralympian males. So we've got to be careful when we talk about these guys because even though they're legends, literally, and really cool good humans individuals <laughs> really cool. so true. really really like 
Yeah, uh, well, definitely Kurt. I don't really know Dylan very well, but I know Kurt is one of the most unique, rare creatures you'll ever come across. Jeez, he's, he's an outstanding man in every possible way. But look, you only ever see us being talked to. When I say us, I say people with disabilities, not Paralympians, unless we are Paralympians or we're inspirational like we're walking again which is so damaging to people who can't walk ever again Mm -hmm. no matter how much green juice or positive thinking they do that's right and it's nothing to do with yeah with their motivation or particularly in the light of some of those awful accidents that we had last year in rugby and yeah to sort of imply that blame i think you're right in that and that's really what that reporting is is doing isn't it? That and if you really wanted it, you'd be yeah. up somehow. And just like if everybody people really wanted to be fit, they could all be fit. You know, even if it is, even if some people do walk out of motivation or thinking positively or the green juice, then why doesn't all able-bodied people climb Mount Everest and become Olympians or be millionaires? Like we're not all the same when it comes to motivation and our ability to exercise and do the right things and be consistent. Like there's a whole lot of other things that go into that. But yeah, this whole idea that I don't think I've had many articles written about me, probably lately a lot better, but that don't that doesn't mention I can still walk. You know, like inspirational Kanye that can still walk. She's defied the odds. What are the odds? Like, what do you... You don't even know what the odds are, you know? And I... Just because I can walk doesn't make me any better than people that can't walk or or more motivational, inspirational or... You know, people always talk about it. I go, well, really... All I do is go to the gym three times a week. That's not why I can walk. You go to the gym three times a week. Like, employment, you know? Like, I get high-fived for being... For working. Or high-fived... Or congratulate or told I'm amazing because I'm, I'm a mother. And let me tell you, I think all mothers are bloody amazing. Oh, I agree. Right? Yeah. Very true. <laughs> but it's 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 always in spite of. You right. Know? And that's really And that's an aspect of reporting you'd like to see change? Well, it's damaging. Yep. Because the way that we report and talk about disability has led us to the situation that we're in now, which is that we are the most abused group in the country. We are one of the worst countries in the Western world when it comes to employment of people with disabilities. We are the most unemployed group in the country. And so the way that we talk about disability is damaging us to make us the most abused and unemployed group in the country, which go together, right? So I work heavily in domestic and family violence. And it's a fantastic project you're doing there, Kanye. Oh, Amazing. thank you. Yeah. It doesn't have the best uh, success rates, unfortunately. We do so much work and we keep seeing women being killed, which is its a challenging, I've got to say, it's a bloody challenging sector to be it in at the moment. It would be really hard. Yeah, it's hard to not take it. Um, the, the responsibility of it is heavy because all my favourite people in the world are women <laughs> and people with disabilities. So that's why reporting, the way we talk about disability, I believe, is contributing to these really disgusting stats. And those stats, when you tell an Australian, they can't believe it. What stats are they, Connie? The stats are that we we believe, and the Royal Commission will flush this out, uh, that women with disabilities, women with physical disabilities, so people like me, are 40% more likely to experience domestic and family violence. And women, I shouldn't say women, I should say women and men, 
with intellectual disability have reported that they've been raped. Now, we will find out exactly if those stats are true. I know from working in this sector for a long time and being around a lot of people with disabilities that I hand on the heart believe that's true. I know I'm a victim myself of domestic and family violence and I got myself in that situation purely out of the fact that I had such low self-esteem because it was, I guess, an avalanche of men either rejecting me because I had a disability or wanting me to walk, not being in my chair or not sure if I could have kids, all of those things that come with my disease, my muscle disease, sort of pushed me into that feeling of I'll just take the guy that accepts all of those things. And then once I was with this particular guy, um, I would get lots of remarks like, oh, look at him, he's so nice. He accepts that you can't have kids or he accepts... Obviously, I can have kids, by the way. (laughs) But at the time... (laughs) (laughs) That was a surprise. Yeah, it was (laughs) Yeah, sure was. Um, To everyone, including me. (laughs) But, you know, isn't it amazing it gets up and gives you a coffee in the morning or takes your rubbish out? Now, let me tell you this. I can get my own coffee. (laughs) I can wheel out, press a button. (laughs) I can can take my own rubbish out. I was doing it before him and I'm still doing it now. I don't need a man that's abusive to do those things for me. And I can see how those those stats, those disgusting stats about my sisters and brothers in with disabilities are true. So tell us a bit about the job that you're in now, Channel 7. I was reading your bio there today. Great day out. I've yes. seen a couple of your stories and it looks like you're having a ball. It is. It's really fun. It's funny, I'm 40 and I'm all of a sudden back on TV. I've, I've gone the opposite way. I did radio for 10 years, which is <laughs> in my 20s when I was hot. <laughs> Now I'm 40, uh, with a few wrinkles and a few uh, battle scars. And you're on horses. And I'm on bloody horse. Yeah, I'm horseback, and yeah. I'm pretty Never much. Stopping yeah, I'm pretty much doing everything that I love to do but can't do. Mm. So horse riding. I'm literally like next week I'm surfing. Fantastic. So I had just discovered that there's adaptive surfing for quads. So I'm a quad. So it means four limbs, you know, all, all limbs are affected. So most sports don't tailor to us. Ooh. This does. So I didn't know that until just recently that there are quad adaptive surfing, which means I've got a chance of learning how to surf on a on adaptive board, which would be, I've always said if I got cured tomorrow, the first thing I'd do would, would be to surf or run on the beach. So those two things, um, I've literally just been approved the NDIS a beach and nature electric wheelchair it's like oh, a Segway yeah so before, and they're, they're thicker wheels and things aren't they yeah, yeah well they yeah. used to be the only ones you used to be able to get were ones you had to get pushed yep nobody likes being pushed including me obviously <laughs> and I've got a kid that runs on the beach I'm really, I've lost him a couple times on the beach now <laughs> <laughs> and these are like Segways but with a seat so they're electric and they go on the sand and in nature bushwalking over full on, you know, rocky roads and bumps and, and into the water to probably a, a couple of inches. Brilliant. 
And they're only 13 grand, which is cheap for a wheelchair. So I'm really pumped that I've got that because that gives me freedom. Like there's no, mm-hmm. and also even just around here, because if Kai runs off, obviously I'm I'm probably faster than you because I've got an electric chair, but I can't <laughs> get up. Can I say yes? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I can't get up lips and stuff like that. So if he goes into someone's house, yes, for example, right. yeah. that's you're tough. faster on the road. <laughs> Getting in the house as Yeah. Mm. So this chair will give me that freedom. And also, mm. I'm pretty proud about this whole adaptive surfing situation. It's my mum, My mum won't be. She'll be thinking, oh, my God. And that's the thing. Like The thing about Great Day Out and Channel 7, what I loved about the idea of it was they didn't want me to be an accessible holiday journo. Even though everything I do, I'm in my chair. And therefore, if I can do it, other people in my situation obviously can do it too, but that's not the focus. I'm just a journalist. And I don't know if I've ever really been a journalist. I don't know. Like All those years that I was reporting and doing stuff, mostly sports journalism, or I did obviously a lot of radio, I, apart from when Beck lent me her show a few times, beautiful Beck, on ABC, I don't know if I was ever really ever given the permission and privilege of being a journalist without having to be a journalist with a disability and that was probably why I didn't love it mm. and I was always and it was always about me you know it was always about the Paralympian and I gotta tell you I didn't study journalism and communications to talk about me I even to this day I I will always have to talk about me to a point but that's only to set up a story now it's not the whole story so I'm enjoying speaking again now because I get to tell other people's stories and hopefully bloody change some attitudes and some crazy stupid assumptions about what we can and can't do to change people's lives so people are as blessed as me because I obviously had this great family and but I don't have the whole story is no longer about me and the medals that I won and the records that I broke or whatever I did because to me that's like you talking about university. It's so old. Totally. <laughs> it's so true, yes. Life has moved on definitely for me from university. But uh, <laughs> hopefully it shows things are changing. You mentioned Dylan Alcott before, and I don't know if you saw his show on TV, on, on ABC, the, the dance music one. Yeah. I, ju- I loved the fact that, in again, in that, it was never mentioned, you know, and here's Dylan Alcott in his wheelchair. Like, it was, there's Dylan Alcott who digs this music, we're talking and interviewing bands and stuff in, in this kitchen. So hopefully things are changing at a glacial pace, perhaps, Carney. But it's all a start, isn't it? It is all a start. And also I think we're the last diversity box to be focused on. <laughs> you know, like, but weirdly we're in every box. <laughs> this is the thing about disability. We're gay. We're Muslim. We're Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. In fact, we believe over 50% of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities are in fact disabled. They haven't been forthcoming with identifying um, having a disability, which I totally get, and I'm and I, and I I'm I'm scared for them. I really am, and I get why mothers are so scared about saying their kid may have a disability because I was a social worker in hospitals, and I saw how differently we treated mothers, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander mothers who had disabled kids compared to white mothers. I saw it with my own eyes. And I am scared for them, and I do work alongside them, and I feel very close and connected to their communities, hence why I go to them all the time. In fact, I'm probably happier mostly in their communities than I am anywhere else in the world, again, because I have that feeling of, whatever, mate, we'll figure it out. And they certainly, 
They will not ask you <laughs> what happened to you in the first five minutes. <laughs> the kids are a bit like, what the hell are those lights and the wheels and why are you in a chair because I don't see people in chairs. I guess it's like being in third world countries, really, because it is like third world in a lot of their communities, which is hard to see mm-hmm. as a privileged white person living in Hendra. That in our back, own backyard, we've got people that can't drink their own water in the Torres Strait. No, it's just fair. You just can't believe it. You've been to the Torres Strait. Amazing. Yeah, I went to Thursday Island just recently. And um, will we see a story from there soon? I'd love to go back. I mm. We would love to go back up there with Channel 7. But the people up there are very definite about the fact that they want us to help them fix this violent situation in their communities and the pure racism and the colonisation and really, really focus on healing their trauma and giving every, all the services back to their community before they'll do stories about fishing, before they'll chuck us on a boat. And I get it. Fair enough. Mm. And I mm. understand it because I've been up there and they're, and they're a little bit... I, I, I think the reason why Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are so good with disability and vice versa is because we get each other. We don't have to talk about the, the fight mm-hmm. and, the, and the real blatant discrimination and, and no one thinking that we're ambitious. You know, people always talk about funding, don't they, with us? Disability is all being about a burden, funding. Basically. Yeah, funding, funding. Whether it's implied or actually used, yeah. that word, yeah, I think. Yeah. Even with the NDIS, I think, again, Australians, because we're such beautiful people in so many ways, that we just think, oh, good, the NDIS, see, I'm paying some extra tax. You guys are looked after now. No, mate, we've got to eat. It just buys us a wheelchair or a hoist or gives us some carers. We've still got to eat and, and, and travel and buy nice shoes, just like you do. That NDI doesn't give us that. And I think with the Aboriginal community, it's the same feel. We talk about funding with them. We talk about services. We don't talk about jobs. We don't talk about employment and ambition and education. It's just this missing link in our communities that I don't really know how we got here. But I feel everyone's shifting at the moment with diversity. It's a real, it's cool, right? A little sudden diversity is cool. It's great for us, and we have to, we have to really work it now. Mm-hmm. So I keep telling everyone, this is our chance to. Mate, I'm sick of talking about it. It's been 30 years since I was at, you know, at school where integration wasn't done well. We've got to get this right now. We've got to start thinking about disability differently. Hopefully, it'll start with some stories. Or less stories having wheelchair bound in them. Yeah. Would that be good? <laughs> yeah, wheelchair bound. Oh, God. Like, and I still see it though, can yeah, I? Yeah, I know. And a lot. And I think of you a lot because I think, well, you've got a wheelchair, but that's how you get around. Yeah. I don't think you'd see yourself as wheelchair bound. Yeah, it's the least interesting thing about me. But people are, I don't know what, it, what what's fascinating to me is, is that it's just a card that I've got. It's a, like a circumstance, right? And I, I find, even when I tell people I've got a muscle disease, I still don't think it, it fills them enough. You know, they're, they're looking for something. I don't know what they're looking for. I think they're looking for a drama, a dramatic story. They want a traumatic story out of us. Like, we're like this entertainment value. Like, we, we can just cruise around when we're trying to get our coffee or going to the airport. And, and prov- I think that's what they want. So it's hard because sometimes I give them incorrect answers just to shut them up and give them what they want because if you give them a car accident they'll leave you alone (laughs) but then sometimes it doesn't then I want to know more and more so you can't get rid of them and then the other day I mean obviously you saw the article with Kylie Lang about Mm. the guy asking me if he would pray for me now people were so and this is the funny thing is when I posted that 
That wasn't, this is not abnormal. This is not an abnormal occurrence for people, especially in wheelchairs, because obviously we have such an obvious disability mm. and people think we need to be cured and that we're less than, which again, mm. is so condescending. Like disability, why do we keep thinking of it as negative? Like it's never gonna go away, disability. We're always gonna have it, it's natural. The world will always have 20% of its people with a disability, no matter what we do. We can't stop it. So why make 20% of the world feel like shit about themselves? <laughs> why say to them, it'll be like, you know, you, I find it fascinating that we talk about, like, you know, whatever you put out to the world will come back, think positively, blah, blah, except if you're disabled. <laughs> you're stuck with that. You know, think, oh, because whenever you tell people what happened to you, whatever it is, they'll always say, oh, you poor thing, that's terrible. I hope it gets better. And it's like, just think about what you're saying to me. This is my life. This is every day of my life I'm like this and you're telling me because I just happened to sit down 80% of my life, more than you, my life is crap. <laughs> and what gives you the right to think that my life is worse than your life? And that's why that's where the praying comes in. And just the other day I was at the park again because now I have to go to parks all the time with my two-year-old, which actually is the, it's worse than pubs, right? Parks have become my new pub. <laughs> the problem is I haven't got alcohol. <laughs> it's a numb. And this lady came up to me again and said, and I knew it, because I, 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 it's an energy. There's an energy about these people. I knew she was coming. And again, I was there with my family, my two-year-old. Can I pray for you? And I was in that mood of sarcasm. So I said, sure. Thinking she'd go away and pray for me that night in her own bed, right? No, she meant there. She meant there. And then she said, can I touch her? I said, if you touch me, <laughs> if you touch me, I will lose it. And again, I don't like this in me. This is not my actual personality, but this is the fight that I can't switch off, right? So I didn't want her touching me. And then she prayed out aloud. And the things she was saying about me that I needed to be cured was infuriating, condescending, and not true. I mean, where am I going to park, mate? <laughs> if I get cured, I'm screwed. If I have to start, like, lining up, I don't know if I can handle it. <laughs> but it's unbelievable to me how she could think that that is Christian-like or okay to, to stand next to someone and tell them that they need to be fixed and cured because my life needs pray, praying. It'd be like me saying to you, oh, you, you know, you poor thing, you've got whatever colour your hair is, I'll pray for you tonight. <laughs> so you become blonde. Yeah, blonde, you know, whatever it is. I just can't believe people think it's okay to talk to us like that because you wouldn't talk to the average person about what you're thinking about their physicality apart from disability. The good perhaps sounds like, honey, if people came up and talked to you about... The weather. Anything. <laughs> really? Yeah, like they would with anyone else. What's, what's something that we have in common or whatever? Yeah. Mm. And look, just like you've had trauma in your life, even though mine's not traumatic, mm. a lot of people's situation is. You know, a lot of people, they lost people in the oh. accident they've lost friends or they've caused it themselves mm. people drink drive and end up with their in, in a wheelchair do you think it's okay to go up to them every day of their life and ask them about that that's a trigger it's trauma they're trying to move past it and guess what what if we start saying disability is cool what why not why can't we talk about it? why can't we reframe it why can't we say it's cool to be in a chair maybe it is how do you know 
maybe she did some studies on it. And that really screws with people when you say that to them. Like, oh, because it really, for some reason, they can't, it's like, no, we can't talk about disability as being cool and positive, but why not? Why is it that everybody people are cooler and better than me? Who made that rule? So I think we, if people are going to continue to have accidents and mothers are continuing to have disabled babies, why not reframe it? Because wouldn't it be great that, that tomorrow when a mother has a child with a disability, instead of being traumatised for the rest of her life from that diagnosis, the negativity around it and thinking that their life is going to be challenging... Why not say, let's celebrate it? Why not celebrate the difference and say, you know what? At least we've got a society now that accepts people with disabilities. They're employed, they're not abused. The reason mothers are upset when they have those children is because of those stats that I talked about. You know, if all those things changed, I haven't once said that my life is hard because I can't walk or get around. I've said this whole time, I'm pissed off at people and how they talk to me. And it's so easy to change. We can, we, we can all change those attitudes, can't we? And that's what I do believe. I think, you know, I, I don't want to be sitting here another 20 years when I'm 60 talking to a 40-year-old. You know, I speak to 20-year-old girls all the time that say to me, I just got rejected for a university placement. I can't get a job. I've been, you know, and you just think to yourself, you're me. This is still happening. And it, it, it's so draining that you, all the work that we've done, that we're still so short-sighted and also you're missing 20% of the market it doesn't even make sense business-wise we could be the best employee you've ever had you've had plenty of bad able-bodied employees so you don't judge every single able-bodied person on the other able-bodied person <laughs> gee all these people who can walk are terrible yeah yeah i know Let, and i think we have to start pushing it back like i always say i'd love to go up the two able-bodied people walking down queen street mall and say are you two having a race <laughs> <laughs> or go up to a mother you know expectant mother a pregnant mother and say how are you going to look after your kid what are you going to do is your mum going to move in with you? How are you going to bath your kid? What's going to happen when your kid runs off on you? Go up to a mother, pregnant mother, and say that and see what happens to you. That's what I got non-stop. Now, how is that okay? What makes me an incapable mother because of my situation? I've competed at the highest level. I paddle. Team I captain at the Sydney Paralympics. Like, I chuck Kai in the back of a trike. Like, what, don't... Don't make out that because I don't have glutes that I'm not going to be a good mother. What the hell's glutes got to do with it? <laughs> you know, I've never heard someone say, man, my mother was awesome because she had good glutes. <laughs> she had strong hamstrings. <laughs> you know, like, and I, the amount of people that have said to me, oh, kids just adapt, don't they? What? <laughs> adapt? You know, Kai doesn't look at me and say, I wish mummy could run. How many, how many mothers run? Not me. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'll do anything to avoid running. <laughs> That's what I, and I've seen these people that have said to me, what are you going to do if your kid runs off? I think to myself, I'd love to say to you, what are you going to do? Because they're not Usain Bolt. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just interesting yeah. that people say it. And I sound like a bit of cranky 40-year-old old wheelchair. No, no. Like they're important points to make. It's though. just interesting that people can't see the damage they're doing with their words and words are weapons man people kill themselves every day because of words labels 
They don't kill themselves because they're in wheelchairs. They kill themselves every day. Everybody kills themselves every day of the week because of something some idiot has said to them they didn't think twice about. So we just got to, you know, instill it in people. Just be careful. Think about that was said to you, how you would react if someone questioned how you were going to be a mother. I mean, that's the... Mm. I, I think that I, I, I didn't realise that... I don't think I've ever disliked being disabled, to be honest, until I was a mother. I think it was a grief process. I, ne- I really didn't. I didn't get why everyone thought mm. being disabled was hard. Um, truly, because my life had been so <laughs> ridiculous and good, you know, and it still is. But being a mother um, with a disability, well, it is still is, because Kai's obviously still two and very physical, <clears throat> and obviously I'm limited with certain things. It it has been like I was. I have had. I've grieved for the first time in my life because parks aren't accessible, and because people say things to me like people judge me more than. They judge other mothers if their kid runs off. Um, lifting him in and out of the car, travelling with him. And I do, as you know, I travel everywhere with him because I, I want him to experience this great life that I'm privileged to have with Channel 7 and, and, and speaking. And I, I, I travelled for 20 years on my own. I was lonely as anything. So having a little buddy is cool. Uh, also a single mum, so I don't have a choice. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've really found it hard and I've fought really hard to get better equipment because I know that equipment changes everything you know support changes everything it can do more and I guess because I am such a physically you know I want to do everything maybe that's why I've made it harder for myself because I want to take him to the beach and I want to take him to the mountains and I want to take him everywhere but yeah I've really found it I, f- I think I've really grieved having a disability for the first time in my life. Okay, I can only say that your stories have made a huge difference for so many people and I hope that they continue to because they do make a difference in all these things that we're talking about. <laughs> Honestly, you know, and I, I really hope that everyone who hears this podcast takes it on board and we will change our attitude a bit. Yeah, look, I always say, if you want to do anything, people always say, what can I do? I always say the smallest of acts can create the largest of impacts. So if you haven't got a person with a disability working at your company or your organisation, employ one. And if a person with a disability rocks up to your business as a customer, figure it out. Just figure it out. Because you know what? I'll get my coffee from the same bloody place. We are the best customers. <laughs> we are. So loyal. <laughs> <laughs> Just figure it out and don't feel like there isn't a way because I think there's always a way beautiful way to end it i think thank you carney for joining the journal project podcast thank you that was carney liddell speaker broadcaster and reporter for channel 7's great day out program speaking to me on the journal project podcast Streets of Your Town is produced by Nance Haxton, a.k.a. The Wandering Journo, with production assistance from Michael Adams. That's it for this episode. I'm Nance Haxton. Stay up to date with the latest episode of Streets of Your Town by subscribing on your podcast app on iTunes or SoundCloud. See you next time.